You're listening to The Toolbox, a podcast from Westwood Church's college ministry designed to train, equip, and encourage college students and young adults in their walk with Jesus as they take the gospel to a fallen world. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Toolbox. I'm your host, Christian Barrett, and I'm joined once again uh, with Associate Pastor Ben Russell. Ben, thanks for being on again. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, Ben, I've had you on multiple times in the past. You've given us some uh, great clarity on issues regarding the atonement and the death of Christ. And um, today you're once again going to bring some clarity for us on an issue or or a topic that just uh, we've had some questions about recently on the toolbox um, concerning Genesis 6 and the reference to the Nephilim or uh, the sons of God that they're mentioned here in Genesis 6. So, I'm going to read this passage, and then you can just kind of work us through what this passage is talking about. Who are the Nephilim? What's going on here? Sounds good. Um, So we have in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they choose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So a lot there. (laughs) You're you're in the the hot seat answering these questions. Thankfully, I I didn't just walk into your office and start recording. You've had some time to prepare. So what's happening in Genesis chapter 6? Yeah, so Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, it's a difficult text, but it's necessary, I think, first off, to enter into the conversation with humility, understanding there are a couple different views on these things, and none of which should cause divisiveness among the body of Christ. And so I think it's good to just start off knowing that. But diving in, I think that there's uh, really, there's three people groups here. There's the sons of God, the daughters of man, and the Nephilim. And so I want to look at uh, kind of what some of these theories are. So who are the sons of God? And just answering that question, theory one is that it's a reference to a godly line of Seth. So if you remember in scripture, Abel is killed by his brother Cain. Adam and Eve procreate. They have another son, Seth. And so the sons of God, some think, are the lineage of Seth. Uh, and then some think that the daughters of man are the lineage of Cain. And that as these procreate, as they get together, uh, it's that's what we're seeing here. And so that's one theory. Um, I won't spend a lot of time on that. Uh, another is just that the sons of God are superior kings and rulers of that time. Uh, And so the third refers to demons or fallen angelic beings. And so uh, I've not seen a lot of scriptural evidence for the first two theories. So based on that, I believe the scriptural evidence points to the sons of God being demons or fallen angelic beings. So here's why I say that. I'm going to give you some information. So the phrase son of God, it's mentioned six times in scripture. Two times here in Genesis 6, we see it in verse 2 and verse 4. It's mentioned once in Job 1, verse 6, Job 2, verse 1, Job 38, verse 7, and finally the sixth time is in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. I can't get into all those verses. Cross-check them. You can look those up later. But you'll see the sons of God is there. Now, in every one of the uses of this term son or sons of God, it refers to angelic beings. And so for consistency's sake, 
mistake, it makes sense that Son of God across the board would be used the same in all six ways. So the second thing I would point to is I believe that we see Christ interact with these very sons of God. And so this is wild stuff. So 1 Peter, uh, check this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So we know Christ dies once for all for sins. Uh, this is the picture of him on the cross. Christ, the body is dead, right? But notice at the end of this verse in 18, it continues on and it says, being put to death in the flesh. Mm. This is Jesus. He's being put to death in the flesh. So what does it mean to be put to death in the flesh? We're talking about his body, right? It's finished. He is. He's put in the grave. Uh, the flesh is dead. We just celebrated this with Easter mm-hmm. and Good Friday. Had a big conversation yeah. about it. Uh, but this is what's interesting. The final line of that verse in 18 says, Uh, And I'll go back. It says, being put to death in the flesh that we just looked at. And then it says, but made alive in the spirit. Mm. So his body is dead, but his spirit isn't dead Mm. because Jesus is that eternal spirit. So the question arises, where does Jesus' spirit, what's what's happening with that during this time? We know where the body is. The body's in a tomb, and it's there for three days until the resurrection. But the spirit of Christ, let's look at uh, verse 19. It says, in which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Hmm. His spirit goes to a spirit prison. What? A spirit prison? What's that? You know, who are these spirits? Well, as we continue in verse 20, it says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Mm. So here we have uh, these locked away spirits. They're the very same spirits, I believe, that are being referred to as the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6. Now, that's 1 Peter. Let's hop over to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, here we are talking about Noah again, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what we have here is when Peter is talking about the angels that sin, it makes sense that he's talking about the angels of Genesis chapter 6. And it's clearly connected to the time of Noah. We see this in both 1st and 2nd Peter. So I think that's a fair uh, connection there. Uh, So... First Peter called it a prison. Second Peter calls it chains of gloomy darkness. But it's the same demons that are locked up and that we're talking about in Genesis 6. Now we could go over to Jude chapter uh, Jude verse 6 and 7. And it says the same thing, that these angels didn't stay in their proper position. And so they were kept in what it says, the eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Again, we have this concept of there are demons in this world we know that are free and, and on the move. Mm-hmm. But there's also demons that are being locked away, that are, mm-hmm. that are being put back. And so we have to understand that when, when we talk about this, uh, God is sovereign over all of these things. But uh, there are some, which is what we're looking at here in Genesis, 3, in Genesis 6, that are put back mm-hmm. in chains. And so let's look back at verse 3 in Genesis chapter 6. It says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So what are these 120 years? Uh, This is going to be the 120 years before the flood hits. 
That's 120 mm-hmm. years of grace from the Lord to say, here's your time to repent. So that means I'm not going to live guaranteed 120 years. Correct. What okay. it does mean is that 120 years is what they had given until okay. there was for repentance. And so, again, it just shows the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There's just a graciousness mm-hmm. there, a long-suffering, mm-hmm. a steadfastness uh, with man and sin, yeah. right? Uh, and we know that it's surrounded in this passage of chapter 6 that uh, these are wicked times. Men are wicked. It's it's a bad thing. Um, and so during this 120 years, what's happening? One, God is giving t- men time to repent, mm-hmm. to um, repent of just the wickedness. But the other thing that's happening is Noah's building a boat out in the yeah. desert, right? Yeah. And so, uh, again, this is kind of wild, but this is the patience of God in waiting. So when we talk about the sons of God, in short, these are uh, demons. These are are angelic beings who have uh, stepped outside of their bounds, right? Mm -hmm. They've stepped outside of their bounds. We know that uh, when we look back in scripture, Satan, about one third of the angels fell, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you have this image of not all these angelic beings are what we would consider good. Yeah. And so that's what we have who are the sons of God. Um, and we can get even much more detailed into who they are and, and like what that means for them to have married these women. And yeah. But ultimately, it's just this perversion of evil yeah. that is being done. Yeah. And then uh, we see three, the Lord being gracious and waiting for 120 years. So then that leads us to our final question of who are the Nephilim? Um, I mentioned earlier that the sons of God, one theory is Seth, and I mentioned uh, one of the theories for the daughters of man is that these daughters of man are uh, the lineage of Cain, but Mm -hmm. uh, I I don't know why we would necessarily go that route. The daughters of man just appear to be beautiful women, you know, of the time. And so uh, that answers the question for who are the sons of God, who are the daughters of man, but who are these Nephilim? You know, one theory is that the Nephilim are the offspring of these demons uh, and these women that we just discussed. Uh, But I'll tell you why I don't believe that to be true. And the Nephilim is, in this phrase, is used to describe powerful men just in general. And so I think that's worth noting. The Nephilim is translated as fallen ones. It's a term used to define men of power, influence, stature. And it's only used one other time, and that's in the book of Numbers chapter 13. This is when the spies go into Canaan and they describe the occupants of this land as Nephilim. And so why do they identify the occupants of that time as Nephilim? Uh, it's not, the Nephilim is not a race of people. Mm. And so the spies would have known the word Nephilim from their knowledge of Genesis, mm. which makes sense. Uh, furthermore, it wouldn't make sense that there would be this uh, large group of people called the Nephilim in that area uh, because they would have all been destroyed in the flood when we know that only Noah and his yeah. family survived. Yeah. So Nephilim is simply a term used to describe powerful men. So verse 4 tells us they were in those days and also existed afterwards, leading to the conclusion that they were already on the scene. Mm. Not that they were the offspring of these other individuals. So they're not the product of the sons of God. The original readers would have known who the Nephilim were and mentioned them 
uh, adds to the atmosphere of just violence and wickedness of these times because uh, they were known for their fierceness. So it makes sense from verses 5 to 7 that God sees the wickedness of man and we see the plan for total destruction minus Noah, the yeah. righteous man. Uh, but the ultimate point being here is that it was a time of evil and wickedness just everywhere, mm. which leads to God responding in judgment. Yeah, yeah I think that I, I just love how you brought the the full aspect of biblical theology in there. Right? This is one of the things that we have talked consistently about when we, we're doing systematic theology, we're doing biblical theology. Of It's not just four verses right here. We're left only with these four verses to figure out who this God is and who this creator is. He's given us an entire book um, from exactly Genesis right. to first and second Peter. We get an insight into what's happening at this point in time. Uh, and then we also have the full scope of Genesis 1 through 11 and all of Genesis and into Numbers as well. But really just focusing on Genesis 1 through 11, it's very clear that the inclusion of these verses is to show us a lot about who God is and his uh, reaction to sin. And it was Absolutely. to show the wickedness of the time. Uh, when we really understand the point of the flood was an act of judgment on wickedness, yes. it brings to light this passage. Absolutely. And so I appreciate you working through this passage with us, uh, biblically showing us the connection points and showing us the different viewpoints on this. Uh, would you say it's helpful to just into, to refine your own understanding of this by looking at other viewpoints? Uh, it does. It really does. And it's one of those things where you, you are. It, we should be able to have healthy conversations with mm -hmm. each other, right? Yeah. And so even if I run into somebody who has a different theory that like we discussed with the sons of God, it doesn't mean that we don't align on who Christ is and his work. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, like you said, this tells us who God is, that he has a plan. It tells us who man is in his mm -hmm. wickedness. Uh, and left to his own devices, he'll, he'll remain wickedness. Yeah. And it also shows us from the evil one uh, that plan, right? Uh, it says that the evil one, uh, you know, through this you have these evil ones who have uh, married these mm -hmm. women, right? Yeah. And so there's always this taking something that is good, marriage, and just yeah. perverting it, yeah. just twisting it a little bit, which is Satan's yeah. age-old lie. Yep, it's a, it's a picture that's clearly depicted in all of Scripture. So I'm thankful for you to walk through this passage with us. If you have any questions about uh, this episode, this passage, other references in Scripture that may just be a little bit confusing, uh, we'd love to hear those questions or comments. You can always email me, christian at mywestwood.org. And as always, we'd love to have you at a Sunday service. Uh, what time are our services been? Uh, right now at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. 10.30 a.m. and 9 a.m. So we'd love to have you. Uh, for more information on Westwood Church, just go to mywestwood.org. Until next time, friends, grace and peace.